Welcome to the Affordable Freedom Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Hume. Affordable freedom is about defying the ordinary. It's about rejecting society's definition of success and the rat race it takes to achieve it. It's about slowing down to spend more time on what's truly important and using your money to build a lifestyle around those values. Financial freedom doesn't have to wait until retirement. With mindfulness and intention, you can make it happen a lot sooner. And it can be more affordable than you think. Thanks for taking some time to slow down with me today. We have Mondo Salavanti with us. And uh, if you're on LinkedIn, I'm sure you've seen him around on there. Um, he's gained quite the following. And I got to say, I respect the heck out of what he's doing. He's, um, I think, changing the game for financial advisors. For a long time, financial advisors have been sort of, I don't know if it's afraid. Mondo, what do you think? I don't know if it's afraid or just they've had compliance departments like telling them they're not supposed to go on social media and say certain things. But I just love seeing you out there and speaking your mind. And I feel like if we're just doing what's right for clients, then, you know, there's no problem. So I've got a lot of respect for what you're doing out there, man. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Brian. And I appreciate you making a note of that. And it's funny, I, I think it's really just the compliance part of it. But I think a lot of advisors put the blame on that as a scapegoat to not have to put in the effort, not have to learn any of it. Interesting. Interesting. That could be. One of the things that I love about that I've loved about getting to know you, if, if you've seen if anybody has seen Mondo, you know, he loves to hustle. I hate to hustle. He loves wearing suits. I hate wearing suits. I mean, we couldn't be any different, you know, any more different from a personality standpoint, but you're one of the favorite people I've met here on LinkedIn. I, I think a big thing of, of that is that age is a big factor in our differences. Like when I was in my 20s, I was out wearing suits and hustling. And so maybe I just see a little of myself in you. Um, so I'm just kind of curious, like what, what drives you at this point in your life right now? It's a very good question. For me... Going back to the beginning of my career, my first three months as a financial advisor were very dark. And when I say dark, I mean, I made a couple hundred dollars in literally three months. So I'm sitting there thinking, like, what am I going to do? And dialing in my vision really got me out of that to where I started succeeding, gaining clients, gaining traction. So when I talk about vision, it's everything that I want in life for myself, for my network, for my clients, for my fiance, for my family. And that picture of what I see and not just the picture, but the life I envision myself living and, and what I want and where I want to be. That's what drives me at my core. Nice. And you're not married yet, right? You're engaged to get married. Yeah, we got engaged back in November and Long story short, it was right before the holidays. So holidays came. We're like, okay, let's have an engagement party after the holidays. We have the engagement party. Then my realtor, who's going to be the best man at my wedding, says, oh, I got this property for you. Well, I'm sitting in the property that we purchased right now. So we bought the house. Now we're slowly moving in, not totally moved in yet. But that happened. And now we're finally like getting settled and going to look at venues. So I don't even know when we're getting married yet, but we'll get a date eventually. <laughs> You'll get there. You'll get there. Uh, I've been through that and jumped through all the hoops. It's a it's a fun time, but a stressful time. For yeah. Sure. 
Absolutely. But um, one of the things that I think is always interesting to know about us as financial planners is we always put together like these long-term financial plans for people. Like somebody could be 30 or 40 years old and we're putting together a plan that projects them out to 90 years old. And clearly things change along the way. So how do you like for your goals in your career, like how do you balance this sort of long game that you have, this vision that you have with the day to day and what you need to do to get there? For me, it's simple. And when I say simple, I don't want that to be confused with easy because flexibility in financial planning is something I think goes way overlooked by a lot of planners for guys like us and people in our industry. And I'm, I'm a victim of this. We see the tax opportunities and all these vehicles, whether it's a Roth IRA or whatever account you want to use, that's the one you always see on TikTok, you know, but, um, with stuff like that, it, it, at the same time for me, I want to have flexibility in my plan that, yes, I'm planning for the long term. Yes, I have things going that I'll never touch unless I absolutely had a doomsday. But I want to be able to tap into things if need be. So perfect example. When I first started in business, I was living with my parents. Of course, I graduated college. I had no money. I was still with them. Every paycheck I made, I was putting half of it into a taxable brokerage account after taxes. So I was investing that money. Now, unfortunate for me, I was investing at the peak of the market when I well, going into the peak, at least I graduated college in late 2020. So 20 November of 2021, I think was the peak as of now. And I ended up losing some money in that account, but I had the ability to access the capital. When I bought this property, I used money from that account in order to buy this property. Now with this, to go off of that, if this was just a single family home, giving me no income, not being an investment, because I don't consider a home an investment unless you're actually getting cash flow or, or rental use out of it. If you're strictly living there, I don't view it as an investment personally. Okay. This has three units. I have a detached garage I'm renting out. So I looked at things and I'm like, okay, I could use part of my brokerage money to go and buy this house as a down payment, closing costs, other things we need to do to the house because I'm just moving money from one investment to another. Even if I am selling at a short-term loss right now, this is going to do more for me in terms of creating income, also appreciation of the property long-term, hopefully, and it's giving me a place to live. So I tell that story about my personal situation, about balancing long-term and short-term. I looked at that as an example where, yes, I'm changing my long-term strategy a little bit, but in all reality, I'm able to satisfy my short-term needs while knowing I'm creating something for the long-term. And in mm -hmm. doing so, I'm not necessarily compromising or hurting my plan. Does that make sense? Totally. Yeah. And I couldn't agree more about the flexibility part that you mentioned. I think that's something that a lot of people overlook. I certainly did. And like I was in the financial industry for, you know, 13 years before I went off and, and started my own business. But it's drilled into your head early and often. At least it was for me. I don't know if it's still this way for, kid, for, for people that are entering the workforce today. But like it was really drilled into my head. You save in your 401k. You max out as much as you can because you want to have a stable retirement. And here I am at 42 years old wishing I could access all that money that's sitting in my retirement account. So, you know, like tax benefits, they're great. 
don't get me wrong, we want to maximize our tax benefits. We want to minimize what we pay in taxes. Um, and all that can be done by good planning, you know, planning which accounts you're contributing to. But at least for me, at the end of the day, freedom trumps everything. And, and the, the ability to be able to call an audible, you know, when things change in my life, because we're all improving and growing, hopefully, and changing every day. So we got to remain flexible. So I'm with you on that. Right. And there's always a benefit we're getting. There's always a cost that we're paying, no matter what it is. And even if we realize it or not, for me, I do contribute to a 401k. That is part of my plan. It's a small portion of, of my pay. I put 5%. And mm -hmm. whatever account someone has out there, because everybody doesn't have a 401k, of course, this is just me personally. But a majority of my other money that I'm putting away, whether it's savings, retirement money, investments, I do make sure that I have accessibility because I, I just don't think I want to be that person tying things up. I have very big goals. And with business opportunities, I want money to be available in case I need it for something. So agreed. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you on that. Um, what did you, what did you just say there? You said that everything has a cost to it. Can you kind of explain that a little bit more? I'm interested to hear more what you think about that. Yeah, absolutely. So with the 401k, for example, just cause we're on that subject, obviously you're getting tax benefits, whether it's a traditional or a Roth for anyone listening, a traditional 401k, pre-tax dollars go in, it grows tax deferred, meaning you don't have to pay tax on it until you then distribute it later in life, which is good because you're not getting tax drag on growing your wealth. So sure, that's a benefit, but the cost to all of that is you're locking it up till 59 and a half, just as an example. With putting money in an account that might be more liquid, like a, just an after-tax brokerage account, I see that and sure, your cost there is you're not really getting much of a tax benefit, but the liquidity is the, the liquidity is the benefit, no tax benefit I guess would be your cost. So I just view it, view like, I know we're talking about financial accounts, but even anything in life, there's always some cost or risk at hand, even if it's not the risk that we necessarily view as one. Yeah. I think that's a that's a big point. And I like to do that as well is look at um, costs other than financial costs, like all the time. And in fact, one of the things that I always do is I look at all my basic needs. Right. And then once my money covers my basic needs, like every dollar in addition to that has to serve the three areas of my life that I've laid out as being the most important areas of my life. And I want to be very intentional with how I'm allocating additional dollars because it's an investment, right? There's opportunity mm -hmm. costs with any investment. If I'm putting my money somewhere else, it's going to be taking away from another area of my life. So I think we do have to be very cognizant of all of those non-financial costs. So yeah, I think that's a big value of what we add as financial advisors. And also on the topic, I think this is a good point for both of us as financial advisors. When a client decides to do it themselves and not work with somebody, I often will will phrase to them, whether it's me or someone else, because I, I might not be the fit for you and that might be why this person objects me or, or whatever, but you need to answer to yourself, what cost are you really paying by not working with an expert or is it a bigger cost to pay and work with somebody? So uh, just distinguishing between those, I think that's another great example to bring up while we're on the topic. Yeah, absolutely. I think when it comes to like doing it yourself, 
you know, there's a lot of people, I don't know why, but for some reason people think like financial planning and investing is easy. Like nobody would try to be a doctor on their own. <laughs> people kind of think that's easy. And, and I, I try to take the stance where like, okay, if this is something that you really want to learn and then I'm going to do whatever I can to empower you to be able to do it on your own. But then what we find, and I'm sure you found this with your clients is over time, the, the stuff that becomes most valuable is the relationship. It's like being that accountability partner for your client to make sure that shit is getting done when it needs to get done. Because we can all create a plan and create a vision, but it's a matter of sticking to it and the continuous planning over time that's going to determine whether or not you're successful, right? Brian, I can't tell you how many times I have a client that agrees to work with me. We have two, three meetings and we're getting them through my process. And in that third meeting, I get the reaction of, oh, my God, Mondo, I didn't even know what I didn't know. And I think so often, whether you're someone working with a financial advisor or me or you, Brian, going to the doctor or any professional out there, we often don't know what we don't know. And the only way we're going to learn what that is, is by working with someone who does. So sometimes you just have to take that chance, even if you're on the fence of working with someone, in my personal opinion. And I always lean towards giving people a shot because I've wasted money before, definitely working with professionals in various industries, but I never would have gotten the value from the people that I have worked with and paid if it hadn't been for trying out those other people because I'm able to now see who's legit, who's good, and mm. I might have said no to someone who was awesome because I was scared of, of lo losing that money. But the reality is the good people, the value they've brought me is much more than any amount of money I've ever lost. I love that. Yeah, that's such a good point because I'm guilty of that. Like I just now started working with a business coach. But for the longest time, I was like, you know, I, I don't want to pay this person to be my coach. And I probably should have, you know, I might have hired someone that wasn't worth the money, but hey, it's a learning experience. And if you look at it that way, like you're paying for experience, then and, and I think this all comes down to having an abundance mindset versus a scarcity mindset. And I know you're real big on the abundance mindset. And I'm like, I've been conditioned in my past to have a scarcity mindset, but I'm trying to evolve. Right. Yeah. So what you're helping with. So I'm curious, I, I, you know, kind of off topic, but I just want to hear you talk a little bit about that, about the abundance mindset and kind of attracting opportunities the way you talk about a lot. There's a there's something a mentor of mine said to me earlier in my career, and it's stuck with me since. And I think this has been the stem of my abundance mindset that no one ever went broke from giving flat out. Mm. No one ever went broke from giving. Now, for context of me personally, I was not always this way. I come from playing football. I played in college. Nothing crazy. I played small school, Division three ball. Loved my time. High school was great. But throughout that, I felt that I always wanted to be the star. I wanted to be the guy making the game-winning play. I wanted to be the guy on the front of the paper or in the article online. And when it wasn't me... I would feel bad about myself. I would feel jealous and, and wouldn't want that. And it was coming from a place of scarcity because, well, if he can't, if I can't have that, why should he? And as time went on, I got into business. I started realizing, well, no, I should be happy for my teammates in that, for example, or I should be happy for this other advisor in my office or with the firm I'm with. 
because if someone's a client of theirs, the likelihood that they would have been a client of mine or a fit with me is slim to none. And Brian, you'll remember when when we first talked, and I know we've chatted a few times, but other advisors I've spoken with too offline, I'm fine to just chop it up, talk shop, give give tips, share best practices. And sometimes people will ask me why. And I give that answer every time. There's enough people out there for you to get clients, for me to get clients and not step on each other's toes. And if it ever does happen, we'll sort it out and it's not an issue. But the reality is how many people could one advisor really work with? 200, 250. So how many people are on social more than that? If you're an advisor, you don't want more. And and I don't think it's fair to the clients to have more than that if you're solo. If you're solo, of course, but it's not fair to the clients because at that level, you really get to capacity on a week-to-week basis to where you're able to actually maintain the service you should be giving and the quality of, of the financial planning you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. And the thing that I like is whether it's you or, or some other advisors that I've become friends with on social media is that there's these sort of like conversations, like I'll see you post something and I'll be like, ah, this is my take on that issue. And I post it. And it's so like we're kind of having these conversations that nobody else knows is going on. But what we're doing is we're leveling each other up for the benefit of the community. And to your point, you know, if you're comfortable in your own skin, if you if you um, show people who you are authentically, they're going to gravitate towards you. You know, mm-hmm. so I think if this goes for any financial advisors, I think if you truly want to help clients, if that's your goal first and foremost, and making money as a residual of that, then I think collaboration is huge and will continue to be going forward. For so sure. That's a, a really good point, man. I, Listen, I've we, gained, um, oh, go ahead. I was, I was just going to end that point with, I've gained so many good things that I've been able to then take and help clients out from other advisors and just talking shop like that. So it's been immensely valuable. Totally. Totally. Well, we can, um, me and you could sit here and talk for hours, but I have a few more questions I wanted to ask you. Um, Why financial planning? And I know the answer to this, but I just want you to tell the listeners because it's a pretty cool story. You know, at first in your life, you were inspired by your dad and you wanted to kind of follow in his footsteps, but then you decided to go the financial planning route. So I was wondering if you could share that. So I go to college at East Stroudsburg University in Pennsylvania, playing football, and football is great. I have a lot of friends, doing well. I'm, I'm a freshman. I was redshirting there, but it was awesome. I, I did great. School, on the other hand, not so awesome. I failed two classes, and I was coming from a point where I was a high honors student in high school. I was literally taking like nationally ranked chemistry tests to place myself by my school. Like I was like, school came, school came easy to me always. Like I was very good at it. Never picked a book up. Went to college, didn't pick a book up still, skipped classes and partied way too much my first semester. Like flat out, just calling it like it is. So I transfer home to a smaller school, King's College in in PA. And I'm thinking, okay, if I'm here and I'm not doing well, my dad's really going to beat me. So this will work out. Got my grades together. Things were great. I'm still playing football. I'm still pre-med. I sort of have this realization that I didn't enjoy my science classes and I was still doing well, but I'm like, am I really going to do this for eight years, nine years, 10 years, and then work? 
I don't know. And, and I realized it wasn't really my passion. Had the conversation with my dad. He was very supportive and he did the best thing ever for me. So on LinkedIn, you always see people talking about coffee chats. This was years ago. My dad sets me up on coffee chats with uh, different people in different careers. And the second guy I talked to was his financial advisor. And the way that he broke down what the career is to me, I'll tell in a second. But this is what totally sold me on being a financial advisor. So when I talked to him, he's telling me a story about a client experience he had, what it went like. One of his clients passes away and the client's wife calls him to come over the house, handle their affairs and make sure she's okay, has the income she needs. So the whole family is at at the house. He goes over. The wife pulls him into the other room and thanking him, telling him how much he's done for their family. And she says, you know what? There's three things we all think about before we go to bed. The first thing we think about, did I hurt anybody today? And if you did, you could pray about that. You could talk to a friend, whatever you need to do to make sure that your mind is right. The second thing we think about, am I healthy? Are my friends healthy? Is my family healthy? If not, you go to the doctor. The second thing we think about is my dad. He's a family doctor. I always looked up to him. He's the second thing people think about before they go to bed. And the third thing that she told them, just before we go to sleep, just before we knock out at night, can I pay my bills? Am I making the right financial decisions? Am I doing the right things for my family with my money that we're going to be okay and live the life we want to live? And that's now me. And that was who he was to my family, to that family. And when I heard that story, I realized I could help people just as much, if not more, as a financial advisor than my dad does as a doctor and totally sold me on the career after hearing that. Yeah. I love that story, man, because... One of the things that I'm really big on, as you know, is looking at wealth from a very holistic standpoint. Like if we don't have our mental health, if we don't have our physical health, but we have a lot of money, who cares, right? True wealth is having balance, having that holistic wealth. And we really are helping people, I think, just as much as doctors. If somebody has a lot of anxiety around their financial situation, a lot of doubt and uncertainty about their future, that's going to take a toll on their mental health, which then takes a toll on their ability to perform at a high level, the value that they're able to offer to others. So it can really become kind of a slippery slope and spiral out of control. Um, so yeah, I, I'm with you on that, obviously. And that's a big part why why I'm a financial planner as well. I'm reading The New Financial Advisor by Nick Murray right now. Oh, Nick Murray's the, awesome. Nick Murray's the best. And in this book, I believe it's from 2001, but in this book, he talks about financial advisors and doctors, and he explains a bunch of analogies. But the one that really stuck out to me, he says, the difference between a financial advisor and a doctor is that with doctors, everybody in the world isn't sick right now, but a lot of people are sick. So when they go to the doc, they know to go to the doctors when they're sick. But with financial advising or financial planning, we all don't know we're sick if we're not financial advisors. There is billions of people in the world and all of them are terminally ill financially unless they're taking action and getting something, something in place that's going to get them where they wanna to get to and avoid making the mistakes that'll get them to be terminally ill. 
So yeah. when I heard that analogy, it just made me want to talk to even more people about what I do, how I help people, because it's true. I mean, how many people have you, do you sit down with Brian? They think they have it all figured out. They're all set. And there's 10 problems right in front of your face as soon as you get a second set of eyes on it. It happens every week, every week, every week for me. Yep. So that's that's the best analogy I heard about what we do ever. And the thing is, is that people don't know that they're terminally ill from a financial standpoint because like we've just been conditioned to not understand that. Right. Like we were. And that's why I love the movement that you're seeing right now with um, financial literacy, financial education. Like these are things we should be taught in school, but we never were. And so that's another thing with clients is I think sometimes there's uh, maybe some embarrassment and, and there's some fear of them coming to a financial planner because they don't want to hear how ill they are. But I think it's so important for us to create, you know, a judgment free environment where, where they can open up and, and share these things so that they can be in a better position. Um, so that's on us as well as advisors to kind of open up that space for people. So one more question. Actually, there's two more questions I want to ask you. Is that okay? Yeah, let's do it. How do you define wealth? I told you a little bit about how I define wealth, but I want to hear it from you. Wealth to me is when you can choose to do what you want to do whenever you want to do it and who you want to do it with, flat out. So if I could get off this call today call my fiance and say, let's go to Miami. We, we love Miami. It's like our favorite place to, to vacation to. <laughs> but if I'm like, let's go to Miami and we could do that on the whim any day of our lives, that would feel like wealth to me. But at the same time, wealth to me is, you know what? I'm going to cancel my meetings today, Mattia. Let's sit home. Let's make food and let's just watch some movies. That's wealth too. It's not always the things that come to mind like the Miami trip or, you know, buying the brand new car or the vacation home. Sure, those things are great and I want those, of course, but that's one part of it, like, like you talk about and like we always say, Brian. So for someone from your age or someone that's, that's your age in your 20s, I think that's um, kind of rare to have that mindset. Because I know like when I was first starting my career and probably for the first decade or so after I started my career, I was like chasing all that external validation. Like I wanted the cars, I wanted the money. And it took me a long time to start viewing wealth the way you just described it. Um, but that's, that's one of the things I love about you is I, I talked about at the beginning of the call how we're so different from a personality standpoint and, and from a um, preferences standpoint, whatever you want to call it. But deep down, we're both just looking to live a really fulfilling life. Like if our well-being is off the charts, then we feel like we're the wealthiest people in the world. And that's what I love. So how do you, as, as an advisor to younger clients, you know, I know you worked um, primarily with Gen Z. Like, how do you get them to go through that mindset transformation? Because I have to imagine, or maybe I'm just stereotyping, I don't know. But most young people don't have that mindset. Am I correct? You're definitely right. And no faults of anybody's, but I would say most of the people around my age, 25, 26, 27 years old, they really don't have that mindset. But sometimes when I'm looking at their financial situation, I need to be harsh about things. And if I have, because I, I get clients that come to me and they might be in credit card debt, but they're doing this and investing over here. 
and there's hard conversations that had to be have sometimes, as you can imagine with finances, you know this. Um, I think one of the benefits I've found from working with me is I've seen these these people around my age that they might and nothing crazy, they might get in five grand of credit card debt, 10 grand of credit card debt. So like obviously not good, but nothing overwhelming that it's ruining their life. But we're getting ahead of it, paying it down. And I could see they get it. And just by these check-ins as they're paying it down, it's like, all right, now I understand like we need to provision for things. We need to have a budget. We need to know what money is going where. So that's very big. But honestly, I think I've gotten this mindset from working with my life coach. And I've talked about this before, but my life coach, Alia, I never expected to work with a life coach ever. She cold pitched me. I was in the market for a new coach. And I was like, yeah, I'll see what she's about. And I realized I am a very much so externally validated person. I know I am. I love the pat on the back. I love people to tell me I'm so great. I love people to tell me I'm awesome. That really makes me feel good inside. But at the same time with Alia, we really dove deep on why do I feel that way? And I feel that way because I want people to to not think that I'm a failure and I don't want to let other people down to think I didn't do enough to to succeed or do that thing. And when, and when I get that, that makes me know that. So it comes down to excellence for success. Excellence being, am I doing the things I'm supposed to be doing to further my goals and help the people I want to be helping? Success is just benchmarks, income, nice car, vacation, insert anything like that. That's success. That stuff just comes as a byproduct to what you do in excellence. So obtaining that mindset is, is really what got me there. But with clients, to get back to the main point here and loop this together, I think it's helping them understand if you can take these actions, this is what it will yield you. And all you need to do is focus on what you could control and you won't have to worry about that. I, I've seen a mindset shift with a lot of my clients there. Mm. Yeah, I know one one part of my process where the light bulb always seems to go off for these people who have never really had a plan is when they start seeing like this is what your portfolio can look like in 10 years this is what can it can look like in 20 years could you just most people just can't comprehend the power of compounding investment returns but once you can and you internalize that man is that motivation to start you know cutting down your debt and and being a little bit more intentional with your money so um one last question for you my man so obviously i've been in the um financial services industry for a long time. It's been 15 years now. So I, of all people, know that you cannot give any advice or recommendations to any of the listeners today. But um, if you could give just kind of some universal advice that applies to most people, think of it like general guidance, what do you think that would be? In terms of just maybe money, money mindset, how to think about your money and how to use it as a tool, I guess. Absolutely. I think you should never invest until number one, you have an emergency fund of three to six months. That changes based on the household, but have your emergency fund. Then for me personally, I think where people go wrong a lot of times, and this is a contrarian view as a financial advisor, I know this, but I think people invest in the market too early before investing in themselves. If I didn't invest in myself, through coaches, courses, programs, mentorships, masterminds, 
and it doesn't always have to be money, but a lot of these can be obtained with money very easily if you can afford it. If I haven't done that, I never would have had half this. I never would have had three quarters of the success I've had. I was going to say half, but honestly, it's probably more like three quarters. So I have a very strong viewpoint and I, I exhibit this to my clients. I'm like, invest in you and let's get so much cash from doing that, from you getting skills that we have no choice but to diversify some of this cash and get it into the market, get it into savings vehicles, other things like that. So I think that's another piece. And the third thing to hammer home, it's so simple, but like, don't use a credit card if you don't have the money in your checking account to pay it off that month. Just just don't. Um, sounds so common sense and just simple, but the amount of times that I see it over and over and over again, it, it can be avoided. And it And if you're going to buy something like, I'm sorry, but if you don't have the money in your checking account to pay it off in full, then you can't afford it and you shouldn't be buying it. And that could be harsh to some people, but I really just think it's reality. Yeah, it's a tough pill for some people to swallow, but you know, credit cards are great. Like I use them for pretty much everything I possibly can, you know, because of course for younger people too, you want to build up um, that credit. It's nice to get points, but yeah, if you're not paying it off every month, then you don't want to be taking on that debt. I mean, what what are credit card interest rates now? Like 29% or something like that? I was going to say I've seen them 29%, which is gross. <laughs> That's just disgusting, man. Such a, a deep hole to dig out of if you get yourself there. So yeah, just don't do it. That's good general advice. I don't think any regulator would get upset with us saying that. Before I let you go, um, obviously people know they can find you on LinkedIn, but where else can people find information about you? You can find me on Twitter. You can find me on Facebook. LinkedIn, probably the main main place, but I am starting to do more on Twitter, doing more on Facebook as well. Are you? How's that been going with Twitter? Twitter's been slow, but I'm gaining some traction slowly. Uh, definitely getting a little more visibility. I'm, I'm looking at it like I'm going to do this for a year, not care what the results are and see where I'm at in a year and just keep my head down and be consistent every day. That's the way yeah. I'm viewing it. It's a hard thing to do, man, because especially just made me think of something like um, as financial advisors, like we're not selling a $150 course or something like we're asking people to entrust us with their life savings. People who have never seen us in person, never shook our hand, you know, so, um, yeah, it's you have to have patience. Like one of the things that I've done recently is, um, you know, I'm targeting like mid-career professionals that want to break from you know, the corporate world world and do something a little bit more fulfilling. And so I'm doing searches of like high earning occupations, like medical device, sales managers, territory managers, that kind of stuff. And just inviting them into my network, like no, no sales pitch or anything, just, Hey, some of my content might be helpful for you. And so now I got to tell myself, okay, I'm going to do that twice a week. I'm going to keep putting out the content that I'm putting out. But this may take three or four months before some of these people like see my content and get to a point where they actually trust me enough to reach out and have the conversation. So anyways, it just made me think of that when you talked about having the discipline and putting your head down. It's hard to do and um, much respect for you to for, for keep on doing that. Thanks, brother. Really appreciate it. Thanks again, buddy. It's been a blast and I uh, look forward to talking with you again at some point in the future. Yeah, brother. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. Thanks for listening today. And if you have a moment, check out my website at reflectivewealth.com. 
Everything you need to know about my business is there. Because if there's one thing I've learned in my career, transparency and accountability are critical to a healthy financial services industry. Thanks and see you next time.